Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the technology, the companies, and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, we are thrilled to turn our spotlight on today's guest, News America Marketing. News America Marketing approached us last fall about starting a new, fresh dialogue about how the retail industry is changing. We found some real synergies in the way we both think about the evolution of omnichannel retail. It's not just about any one entity. It's not about the consumer, the brands, the retailers, or even the retail technology companies themselves. As we always say at OmniTalk, it's about bringing all those groups together and fashioning a future that works for everyone. So with it being the start of the year, we wanted to embark on that dialogue further and to bring our loyal OmniTalk listeners into the conversation and to think more about what and how things are changing and how each of these constituencies can come together. So I'm, I am excited today to welcome News America Marketing to the show and Tracy Kohler, the Chief Retail Merchandising Officer at News America, and Peter Mustakersky, the SVP of Corporate Strategy and Development. Tracy and Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you guys. We've, we've been talking for some time, and it's fun to have you on the show. Uh, let's, start, let's start with the obvious place. I'm just curious for the audience to learn a little bit about each of you. Tracy, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, and then Peter, we'd love to hear the same from you. Well, thanks, Chris. We're, we're, we're happy to be here today. Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how my career began. I started with a uh, specialty startup retailer, and I spent some time helping them go from zero to 240 off-price uh, discount stores oh, wow. before I, I uh, made a leap to move to Minnesota, where <laughs> I spent 17 years with Target Corporation in different capacities, core merchandising, pharmacy healthcare, our international expansion team. I was on some optimization and digital supply chain transformation office initiatives. And then after I spent uh, that time at Target, I uh, joined Whole Foods. Uh, leadership group where I um, spent two and a half years consulting to their leadership team on some of the transformational efforts that they had underway. And then in the middle of that effort, I actually had an opportunity uh, to join uh, News America Marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of folks uh, don't realize that News America is a subsidiary of News Corp. Um, so that's our parent company. And okay. uh, so I've been with uh, News America Marketing about a year, a little over a year now, where I, uh, as you said, are, I'm leading their retail strategy, in-store experience and innovation, um, our field and merchandising execution teams. And Tracy, we should tell the audience, so you and I have known each other for quite some time, right? Going back all the way to our days at Target. Yes. Yeah, it's been definitely probably close to a decade. So, And, uh, and now you're, you're, you're here in Minneapolis right now this week too, right? So it's a little bit cold. How are you dealing with the weather out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Minneapolis, so if you hear my teeth chatter in the middle of uh, our, our discussion today, uh, know that it's about a negative 17 wind chill today, so I'm trying to survive with my uh, heat turned up. But yeah, Chris, yeah, we've known at least a decade. I, I, I was looking at, yeah. as you were asking me about my background, I think uh, our paths definitely uh, overlapped in some of those uh, digital and supply chain initiatives. Definitely, they absolutely did. They definitely did. Now, Peter, let's turn the spotlight on you. So you've got an interesting background too, and I, I'd love for you to touch on, I know there's one passion in your life, which I won't spoil the surprise <laughs> here, but I'm sure, that, I'm sure the fans would love to hear about that as well. Yes, this is uh, my background is what at Columbia Business School they used to politely refer as unusual uh, or non-traditional. <laughs> politely. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, I'm originally from Bulgaria. Um, I spent uh, 13 years of my career, very early career in China, um, where, among other things, first being a student, then uh, in business, I uh, set up a couple of small companies, um, somehow always gravitating towards food and candy. Uh, so I guess um, there's some sort of passion there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also worked for uh, over three years uh, to sort of help the U.S. Department of Agriculture establish their foothold uh, in Shanghai and, uh, and China market in general, uh, essentially helping small and large uh, companies uh, gain access to the then just opening Chinese market, a uh, consumer market. Um, and then once gaining access, they would just basically uh, rely on us to help them uh, with local marketing, which was completely unknown to American companies uh, back in the 90s. Okay. Um, I then moved to the U.S., um, um, in fact, two days before 9-11, oh, wow. um, and uh, went to business school um, at Columbia. And uh, post that, I went into a consulting career, uh, joined Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, and spent uh, a good five years there um, in a combination of uh, industries, mostly financial services, but also consumer goods and retail. Um, uh, subsequent to that, I, I uh, worked for one of my financial services clients, uh, UBS, the uh, Wealth Management uh, and, and Investment Bank, um, and then spent another two years uh, from 2010 to 2012 at uh, Bridgewater and the hedge fund that's recently gained a lot of popularity based on its founders' principles and, <laughs> and, and, and philosophy. Right. Um, so I lived those principles for two years okay. uh, straight on. Okay. Um, at the end of that, I decided that before I turn 65 or 70, I wanted to go back to some of my passions and I set up a small retail and um, small manufacturer uh, business in New York City, uh, essentially uh, allowing people to make chocolate by themselves. So it's a sort of experiential retail oh, wow. um, uh, in, in, in Manhattan. So I did that for about five years. And at the end of that, uh, towards the end uh, of, of that period, I had a a friend, mutual friend with the uh, a CFO of uh, News America, kind of call me and say, hey, there's a really interesting company. You've probably never heard of them, but they're doing these exciting things and transforming themselves. And they're looking to sort of um, face up uh, all the, as face up to all the changes and transformation in their space and probably do a lot of uh, rethinking and uh, strategic reinvention um, internally. Uh, so are you interested to maybe consult for a while? And uh, I I thought that was fascinating, especially after I met the people and and, and learned about what the company is facing, uh, which was a combination of both very established, very successful businesses and a highly disruptive and uncertain uh, current and future environment. So um, for a strategist at heart, that was uh, that was very attractive. So I joined first as a consultant and a few months later on, I, I, I joined formally as as uh, the um, kind of heading the corporate strategy and corporate development uh, function, which was at the time newly developed, primarily to deal with with all the disruption and all the changes in the industry. Well, that's a good. I think that's a good segue as we kind of get into the meat. Thanks for those those backgrounds, you guys. I think, you know, one of the one of the things that drew us to you is something that we've talked about in conversation. I know recently at even an industry event, you talked about this, and it's always a common theme of Omni Talk and you know our writing and our podcast, and that's. 
you commented how the traditional path to purchase has become more of a maze than a linear process. You know, Peter, I'd love to understand from your perspective what that phrase means and, you know, what it means in the context of what you just alluded to, too, in terms of what is you know, News, News America, you know, what is its business, and, and how are you guys thinking about that going forward? First of all, we're trying to coin a new phrase, and so <laughs> we'd, like, we'd like to get full credit when maze of purchase becomes maze. Uh, a, a term of art. Um, I haven't used it yet, but so until I'll then, quoting Until you then, I'll explain it. <laughs> yes. um, but um, essentially, the way I see it, and it's quote-unquote easy for me to come from the outside to sort of internalize what's going on in industry and the company and then and then speak to it. So I'll give you my perspective almost as an outsider who came in and, and sort of uh, learned everything that uh, was relevant and, and then tried to sort of reassemble it in the most meaningful kind of strategic way. That'd be great. Um, that's, that's exactly so, how the um, listeners will listen to I mean, to this. in a nutshell, News America is, 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 is part of a, of a larger industry that helps in, in oversimplified terms. Um, you have, on the one hand, brands or marketers who have uh, the desire to send a message um, or some value proposition to an audience of customers, and they have dollars to spend to achieve that marketing goal. On the other end of the on that of that of that journey, you've got you've got uh, audiences of customers who are of relevance or interest to brands, um, and they are on the receiving end of these uh, messages or, or or value propositions. And um, in the middle is an entire industry of what we call marketing services. Essentially, uh, all sorts of companies, from agencies to technology companies, companies to um, um, retail services and logistics companies to um, uh, companies like News America that specialize in in particular types of of, of marketing services. Uh, you know, our, our strength has been uh, primarily in in at home incentives and in store media activation. Um, but it's a very it's a very um, uh, large space which is essentially. Um, uh, fueled by the 225 billion or so um, dollars that uh, CPG, if you limit the marketers to just the CPG, the fast-moving consumer good uh, manufacturers, uh, that's how much money they're spending. I think if you include every relevant marketer, including banks and insurance companies and phone um, giants, et cetera, you've got, you've got um, probably um, about 500 or $600 billion being spent um, on marketing and, and marketing services. Um, and uh, traditionally, um, the industry has been about making it easier and making it um, uh, efficient for the brands, the marketers to reach uh, the audiences they want to reach. And, and, and traditionally, that has been accomplished through large, very established networks. Uh, and when I say traditionally, when you look back 20, 30 years, um, you had newspapers that basically arrived at every door. You had TV, which basically reached uh, pretty much every household. And then you had, um, you know, stores uh, where people went to shop. And there were basically two or three major channels that a marketing manager, a marketing um a brand manager would uh, would uh, have to go activate in order to accomplish their objectives, um, and so to speak, the world was simple. Um, 
what has happened, especially in the last, let's call it 10 years since the iPhone sort of became, um, you know, uh, you know, a device we all carry and mm -hmm. spend obsessive amounts of time on. <laughs> um, and even in the last few years, as the uh, technology has further evolved to include, um, you know, increasingly internet of uh, things and devices all around us, uh, uh, a lot of innovation and with, with with regard to how information is processed, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, etc. Um, what's happened is that that simple journey that, um, you know, if you go back to like black and white uh, 1950s ads, you would see the shopper, which is usually a, a house uh, keeper, would, you know, maybe watch a TV commercial and then go to a supermarket, fill up a, a cart and, and, and come home and, mm -hmm. and cook or whatnot. Um, and it was a very simple, um, high scale, um, linear sort of shopping journey. Mm -hmm. And so you could say that there were the phases of, okay, planning for to go shopping, going shopping. And then after you've gone shopping, we're very clear and very linear. Um, if you fast forward to today, uh, what's really happening, as you know, from our own individual lives is the way we plan, the way we receive any kind of information, but especially shopping or, 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 or purchasing type of uh, information, um, the way we make a decision where to buy, um, the, make we, the way we make a decision at what price to buy, the way, the way we make a decision of how to actually receive um, uh, the goods we're buying. There are so many uh, different uh, options for us, uh, fueled by technology. And some of us gravitate towards some of these options. So some of them are more traditional and stick to the old way of doing things. Um, and and so what's really happening is that the way to um, the way to um, uh, basically purchase uh, and to consume information has been pulverized into many many small points, and therefore um, it's not linear anymore. Um, some people are on a phone, some people are on an iPad, some people are on a kiosk somewhere, some people are traditionally at a store. And that's why we say that it's, a, it's more of a maze because in that um, fragmented uh, environment where you cannot predict who's going to engage and decide how to consume information or how to purchase goods, it's a lot more challenging to reach them, understand them and influence them uh, with the traditional marketing tools. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, yeah, the days of if this, then that are over. You know, it's just, it's, there's just not just one way to connect. I mean, the, a, a friend of ours always talks about there's moments now in people's lives, you know, and how do you think about those moments? Because there's so much information coming at you, whether you're at a stoplight, whether you're sitting at home, whether you're at work, you know, it's not just the trigger of, like you said, the, the television commercial anymore. Yeah. And I think, Tracy, that's a great uh, segue into a question I have for you. And Tracy, as a result of this, why do you feel and why is News America helping uh, its customers with innovation? Why is that in-store innovation so necessary, do you think? Uh, great question. Um, and I actually have thought a lot about not only the importance of digital innovation and shelf media innovation in the store, but also the value of that media and whether or not that value of the media in the store is really understood. I, I actually think in-store marketing is one of the most in, misunderstood forms of consumer messaging today. 
you know, I don't think that any of us would argue that speaking to the shopper while they're shopping is valuable and a very effective form of communication. But one of the challenges the industry is facing is in the way that the marketer evaluates that in-store messaging's effectiveness, mm-hmm. which then ultimately leads to, you know, its current perceived value of that media at the shelf um, and, and, and the value of those messages. So, you know, if you think about a world surrounded by impressions and eyeball counting and media measurement models that translate impressions to an action and, you know, as, as both the, the retailer and the marketer, hopefully it translates to a sale. The challenge up until a few years ago for in-store media is that it's lacked the technology to effectively measure itself as a form of media, which kind of leads into the innovation that, that if really innovation that we've been seeing for the last couple of decades, it's now just really starting to take hold because retailers and marketers have, have been long putting digital screens in stores and selling it as a form of media and trying to sell it as, you know, an impression typed um, piece of media. But the challenge is that those TVs of long ago were, you know, hanging from the ceiling or they were uh, eight feet in the air on the top of an end cap. But we believe that and, and are seeing lots of signs of now that day is nearing where all of the digital technology that's going to be put into stores um, will help consistently measure for the traffic, the engagement, the dwell time um, that will lead to that conversion to some type of action. And we believe that this will fundamentally change the way that the value of in-store um, is is valued in the marketing community. You know, I, I, there's something that I tell people all the time, you know, I see substantial value for uh, catching consumer and shopper eyeballs driving through a, a parking lot or walking down an aisle, yet we're, as a industry, still spending a lot of money trying to capture that attention while someone's driving. Now with speed limits going up, people mm-hmm. are driving 70 miles an hour down the highway and you're still trying to grab their attention. And, you know, if you think about the uh, saturation of digital messaging, you know, you're sitting at the kitchen table, you're trying to have a conversation with your family, and you're getting 27 pop-ups with different marketing messages, yet when you're driving through that parking lot, you're going to enter a store, you're going to walk through a store that is as captured of an audience that is on a task, Mm -hmm. a mission to buy something. So that's as, to me, that's as as good as you get when when you talk about, um, uh, ha- capturing somebody's full attention. So I know you, you know, you, I, I needed to lead into that because you asked me about the importance of innovation. And, you know, I think that it, how long ago was it, you know, the, the both of you, I remember you were telling stories about it. You know, we were all supposedly last year sitting in the middle of this retail apocalypse. Right. You know, and we were sitting, right. And we were supposed to, we were all reading these headlines that, you know, physical stores were going to all close and we'd be relegated to shopping in our living rooms or our cars <laughs> or sitting at the kids' soccer games. But, you know, sometimes now I sit back and laugh at how extreme, um, you know, those headlines become and then realism and common sense take over and we realize that, you know, everything, even shopping behavior is just on an evolution right. from analog to digital. It's not on a complete overhaul. It's on a, it's on an evolution. No different than the entertainment media industry. We all were popping cassettes, listening to our music. I right. won't even say how many decades ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you can see, you can see what happened to physical to digital media. I, I think that, you know, the in-store innovation experience is going to need to have a blend 
of hitting all those shopper senses and needs. So you're, you're still going to need to physically touch and feel or be visually inspired or have an intellectual need for knowledge and research. Um, and everybody, you know, wants acceptance and, so, and, and to be socially cool. So I believe that these needs and these shopping senses aren't going away anytime soon. It's just going to mean for the marketer and the retailer that we need to balance our investments to continue to hone in on the right innovation to measure media differently. Um, I think we need to hone in on the innovation that um, provides for an awesome uh, shopper experience. And you got to be able to talk to people in every context. That's, mm-hmm. We were talking about how it's not a linear path to purchase anymore. It's because everybody is doing all kinds of things in the different contexts that you're in. You're not you're not on a path to, to make something happen anymore. You're actually, you know, get, dig, as, as Peter says, you're kind right. of um, in a maze and you are um, trying to catch attention while people are in the middle of that maze. Well, and that's, I mean, that's that's what's, I think, so interesting about what you guys are talking about. I mean, essentially you're saying that there there is this new context that's emerging. Like, in general, we're now in this maze of, of commercial interaction, so to speak. It's always ever-present. That's why we use the word omnichannel. It's just always on. It's always activated. And that the store in and of itself, as you've chosen to go there, is now becoming a form of media. In a, it always has been, but to your point, Tracy, it's never been it's never been a form of media in what it now could be today. Because you actually have somebody, a, a consumer, that has said, I have made the choice in this moment of my life to go into that space. And so that's an important context to shift and make sure we understand how to measure measure it and how to take the right actions that we want to on any given day of the week. So so Peter like how do you think how do you think then about that context from a shopper and a data perspective and how well how well understood you know is this whole idea that we're bouncing around here this morning how well understood is it by you know everyone in the industry right now? I think everyone is very focused. Um, um, I think th- those apocalyptic thoughts of you know one or the other business model is going to disappear mm-hmm. have obviously given way to the more common sense position that uh, the shopper, all of us, will sort of choose the right combination of experiences that work for us. And there's a huge, I think, um, uh, focus in the industry to try and understand how to create the best connected and meaningful experiences for all of us in a way that um, gives us what we're looking for, earns our loyalty, delivers a, you know, great experience, um, um, uh, entices us to share things about ourselves that allows the uh, retailer or brand to know us better, to serve us better, to serve uh, meaningful messaging to us, and from the retailer standpoint, uh, entices us to go back to the store for uh, either the purchasing need or the experience itself. I think there's a lot of interest uh, in how to how to connect these different contexts into a consistent, seamless experience. So, um, so data and innovation play obviously on the experience side. In other words, you know, with the right data and the right innovative tools and 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 processes and concepts um you can you can um you know create great experiences uh, which uh, you know lead to loyalty and lead to all these um outcomes that marketers are looking for if i take the lens of the of the media um business though mm-hmm. um 
so, so, so on the other side of the experience, there's the media opportunity, right? And how, how do you, uh, without compromising the experience, create a very strong media business? Um, I, I think, I, again, trying to simplify the world, there are three components to a successful media business, in my in my opinion. Okay, interesting. You you have to you have to have, and, and they they actually each component dictates essentially a, a, a potential solution or a focus. Uh, first is you have to offer an engaging tool or experience. So you have to have like a newspaper or TV that people look at uh, consistently and rely on, and you know you can reach them there. That's the old world. Um, today, you know, we have iPhones, uh, we are on Facebook, we use Google search, and there are many, many other uh, tools that we consistently engage with. So the first ingredient to a media business is you have to have a tool that I, as a shopper, are going to want to turn on and spend time on. Um, and that could be anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a tool could be a subway system that, that, that gives me value. And in that subway system, because I'm there and l- using it every day, there's a potential for a media business. Right. Um, and I think in order to, to, to continue to develop these tools, innovation is necessary. So the, the first piece is uh, you have to have an engaging tool. To do that, you have to constantly innovate because you cannot predict what I and the other billions of people around the planet are going to actually want to engage with consistently over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we pick up a, 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 a game or a, an app for a week and then we drop it and we forget about it. And so the question is, what are the engaging tools that keep our attention? The second component is that once you have these tools, for a marketer to want to continue to spend money with any particular tools, you have to give them the measurement and information about how those marketing dollars did. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where data comes in. This is the, the importance of data is um, essentially to ensure, uh, from a media business standpoint, mm-hmm. the importance of data is to ensure that a brand is appropriately planning uh, and optimizing their marketing spend with any particular tool that they're uh, investing in to reach any particular audience with any particular message. Um, so that's the second component. And the third component to make a successful media business is to have essentially a network, a network of, hmm. of, of broad reach and scale. Um, you, you know, if, if, if you have a very sophisticated media model in one retailer, say Target, um, that's not enough. Just you know, it's for, right. for for a national brand, you have to have a large network and and reach millions of of of, of people across different contexts. And and in today's world of fragmentation, um, the importance of networks actually is is going up mm-hmm. because because even traditionally large scale media like TV are now no longer big enough, no longer networked broadly enough. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, stitching together networks um, of different tools or different uh, uh, service providers or retailers, essentially uh, media um, uh, destinations. So when when you go to a store, or you go to a, a, a subway station, or you're out, outdoors, those are all destinations where your attention is spent. Being able to stitch a network to reach you in any of these contexts is incredibly valuable, and I believe this is where the focus of the future of, of media and marketing is going. 
Um, and of course, we're just starting and people are right. focused in trying to create that future. I mean, the excitement around digital, out, outdoor, um, uh, out of home uh, media is, 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 is justified because it's, it's, it's the first example of starting to bridge um, sort of the digital way of reaching uh, audiences with the uh, traditionally non-digitized context like out, out, outdoor or in a gym or in a store, et cetera. Right. That's a, it's an interesting framework. So the tools, the ability to measure, and then having a network. And yeah, when I think about like even just taking it back to retail for a second and physical retail, like, yeah, those are three things that aren't necessarily widely understood within the same level of understanding, at least in terms of what you have, you know, from understanding the activity, you say within the digital sphere, if I stop and I think about it, like, and we really want to understand the consumer day in and day out, that's our goal. In your opinion, as you look at that framework, you know, how much of the average, say, consumer, quote unquote, does a retailer or a brand see at any given point in time? Well, it's interesting. We actually did some high level research for one of our recent event appearances uh, with, uh, with Tracy, um, and it was specifically about the Canadian market, and okay. and and um, if you if you do the math, uh, even the largest uh, retailer, um, and in the case of Canada, that player has a very substantial um, market share compared to any any country. Um, but if you see how uh, human sort of shopping behaviors and attention span and dollars are are um, Kind of a portion to different contexts you know and, and we simplified it again by just creating three contexts you have an at home when you're basically you know in, in your living room or kitchen or whatnot sure you have the on the go which could be commuting could be could be driving could be just walking um uh, around the streets um and then you've got the in-store context i mean these are the three oversimplified relevant contexts for a shopper message to be delivered and when you see kind of how you apportion your time and your attention even the the, the largest uh, player uh with uh, the most abundant uh proprietary first party shopper data set um would only see about 20 to 23 percent of Wait, sorry how of, much of rel 20 to 23 percent so about a quarter of 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 the relevant behaviors interests um uh, spending, etc. So, so that just begs the question: Is that enough? Is that sufficient information to uh, really offer me an experience uh, that earns my loyalty consistently? Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like, it's sufficient. But is it also? It could it be more problematic than it's worth too. I mean, I, I've heard you guys talk about disconnected data. Like, how does that play into this, and what negative outcomes could you see as a result of that? I'll jump in there. So yeah. I, I think the story that Peter was telling you about that work that we did, you know, that leads to 20 to 23%. If you think about how many years now have retailers been spending on trying to, you know, um, using air quotes, terms like personalization, right. hyper-personalization, and we're really trying to uh, talk to Chris at the right time in the right place um, and, and, and with the right relevant message. And it's very difficult to do. And if you think about the importance of connected data, so mm -hmm. the opposite of your question, yeah. connected data that speaks to more about what is relevant to Chris, it, you have to understand more about Chris. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about 
everything from, you know, how much do you know about your best friend? How much do you know about your husband or your wife mm-hmm. or your partner? If you only know about a fifth of of somebody, how are you that's ever really going to put it? Person, yeah, personalized to somebody. Right, sure. So that's, we, we spend a lot of time talking about this open network, this open platform of information because, it, you know, ultimately the retailer and the brand marketer have the same exact goal. They want to reach their consumers and their shoppers. They want to gain their loyalty and trust while they're investing their monies as effectively as possible to reach them. So where I where we talk a lot about where we think things become a little bit misaligned is how effective a single retailer or a single brand marketing team or even a um, a single innovator could be if you are trying to do everything by yourself. So I think versus pull. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say. So I think that lends itself to you know what it sounds like you're saying News America's approaches to this, and that you know it's maybe not a that that walled garden. Um, it, it's more of an open platform. Is that right? I'll let Peter take so, that one. That's one of his favorite questions. To answer. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. The answer is yes. But um, yes, being open or closed. What are you What are you guys? saying there i'll tell you investors love uh wall gardens because and love mm-hmm. moats and they like to talk in those in those terms mm-hmm. uh but we don't believe that this is uh a what is in the best interest of the industry the shopper the vendors so the the uh the brands uh um or even those of us who who uh, are in the marketing services uh, space so um and, and, and you see a lot of companies like the large retailers who um, report uh, in, in their earning call, in their earnings calls and, and broadly um, in the public domain of how important and proprietary the data is. And it's true, you know, proprietary data, firsthand data is extremely valuable. Um, but uh, I'll go back to some of the examples you're asking for before I state sort of our philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're only relying on your angle of proprietary data, here's some examples. I mean, how many times have you received uh, ads for the shoes you just bought 10 seconds ago? How many times uh, have I, uh, because my, um, uh, you know, 10-year-old son logged in with the wrong necklace account, have I gotten Transformers uh, <laughs> suggestions on on, on Netflix? Um <laughs> And my favorite example, which I gave at that uh, that talk we did, was you know uh, there's this one time I was basically taking a as I said I'm from Bulgaria I had a Bulgarian friend and and and, and in, in, from high school and his daughter was visiting us and I took her um, shopping because she wanted to hit Fifth Avenue and hit all the big stores and that was an experience she was looking forward to. Um, we went to all the big stores and uh, found ourselves in Victoria's Secret where she had like five bags of a very fine product that she had uh, purchased. Her credit card didn't work. Um, for some reason, Bulgarian credit card didn't work there. Mm-hmm. I swiped my American Express, and from that day on, I started receiving uh, somewhat embarrassing uh, visual uh, messages uh, for a while. Um, so so th- that, that's, that's what we mean by disconnected data. Right. Um, and, you know, these are sort of funny uh, examples of that. But, but the real problem is, is, is going back to those three, um, three, three elements of a successful, successful media product. Um, 
you have to ask yourself, do I am I relying on a tool that is engaging for a lot of people? Hmm. Um, and if you if you were able to, to build an amazing tool, um, whether it's uh, whether it's an app or some sort of uh, out of home uh, engagement uh, system, that's great. But you have to realize that in today's world is only going to engage a portion. Of, of, of a small portion of people because behaviors are so fragmented and so individualized, driven by technology. And so as a business model, we believe, instead of trying to say my tool is the best, um, we believe it's better to, 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 to create a network of tools that mm-hmm. captures as much engagement as possible, some through your own tools, some through other people's who, mm-hmm. tools who have invented uh, different uh, tools that work for other audiences. The same is true with the data you're capturing. With your tool or your first-party um, access to audiences, you're you're capturing a certain amount of data, and you can choose to only work with that. But you're going to end up potentially um, either delivering suboptimal experiences or limiting the potential of your immediate business, um, as compared to if you become part of a larger network that dips into other pools of data, creates more. Um, 360 and rounded view of of the customer and opens up um, access to audiences or access to media tools that you don't have within your own uh, walls. And we believe that that open platform uh, approach and that approach to cultivating ecosystems of 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 partners you work with um, in ways that are obviously economically beneficial for everyone involved is what is going to be the winning model that uh, eventually uh, arises. I think the industry is sort of starting to open up to these mm-hmm. concepts, um, but there's still a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, fear, and some of it justified, uh, about opening up and sharing your proprietary data assets. And I think when it's done with the right um, security, um, the right uh, brand safety, the right um, economic incentives uh, and the right limitations that you would like to place on it in place, then then it could be then it will be a much more compelling business model than if you just said I will I will only rely on what's within my own walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, and if I could, ju- oh yeah, absolutely. Well, if Tracy. I could just, yeah, Chris, if I could just add on to something that Peter said because we spend a lot of time talking about this because you know obviously this could be controversial for somebody who believes that. You know, I must keep all of my data to myself so that I can talk to my consumer or my shopper privately. Mm-hmm. But I think if we all looked at it through the eyes of the shopper, what what is what what kind of experience mm-hmm. does that shopper wanted to be getting? You know, we laugh at Peter's example. Um, you know, when he took his friend's daughter shopping, I literally less than forty eight hours ago just had the exact same uh, experience with the. So I. My daughter sent me a note to look at a ring that she wanted on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. And I, I put in the search bar of Pinterest, oval ring. And obviously the one that she wanted me to see popped up. And now for the last two days, I've been inundated <laughs> um, with engagement, uh, engagement, wedding gown, hmm. and, and getting married uh, marketing to me. They, they, I think they think because I searched for right. thing, I'm getting married. So if they knew a little bit more, right. just a little bit more about me, more than 20, 23% of me, 
they would have known to target me a little differently, and maybe they could have sold me some more, mm-hmm. some more gems. But now, now they think I'm get, I'm getting married. So uh, <laughs> it, it just kind of it's, it's it's another example. I think it's happening to all of us uh, practically every day, where they don't know enough about us to send us the right relevant even marketing approach. I was looking at rings. But I wasn't looking at rings right. for that reason. Not in that context, yeah. No, I, it's that. I mean, I think it's why we've, you know, like I said in the very opening preamble, I think why we've been, you know, drawn to you guys. I think it, there, this is a zeitgeist. I think you're just now starting to feel. It's becoming a more ever-present question. I mean, just at NRF last week, Rachel Sheckman of Story, you know, said something that I'll never forget. She said, you know, collaboration is really the new competition. I think, mm-hmm. you know, in today's day and age with millennials and just the idea of transparency too. That I don't. I don't see how this all evolves. Given what you know, Peter. Given what you shared in terms of you know the three success factors in that framework, the tools, the measurement, and then the network. I don't see how any of this comes off if it's just as you said, quote unquote, a walled garden. It seems like you know that that openness and that transparency and that collaboration is going to be a, requ- a requirement. Um, but I mean, is that is that is that essentially how you guys see it? I mean, how now? I mean, maybe we get you out of here on this. How are you guys seeing then? your role in that discussion and and where do you guys go forward as a company and you know you guys are a big company too so i would i would point the point of question to you how are you going to lead that conversation well let me chime in quickly and then i'm sure tracy has a lot to add i would say uh the really exciting thing about news america as i've sort of um delved in and sort of discovered the business for myself and then what it has been what it is and what it can be and should be in the future um, we have, as a company, uh, whether we spoke uh, in those terms or even thought in those terms, we've always been network builders. We have always been a company that um, uh, essentially cobbled together networks from assets that uh, largely we didn't own. Um, and the value we created and the reason we earned the right to have a business and a successful business was through the connections and uh, what we made possible through the network that wasn't possible in the absence of a network. And that was true first when we created a network of, of uh, uh, call it 2,000 or so publications or newspapers around the country that reaches, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70 million households uh, on a weekly basis. We don't own the newspapers nearly Right. Uh, I mean, News Corp owns a few of them, but 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 the large majority are assets we do not control. Um, we essentially create an economic um, proposition for them and for the marketers to activate through them, and for the shoppers we activate a value proposition that works. Uh, you know, in back in the day with, when the FSI, the printed FSI, was was uh, you know the main way you got your your uh, incentives to go shop uh, that worked for a lot of people perfectly you know you, you take it out of the newspaper clip the coupon take it to the store and and it was a behavior that became consistent um so uh, same thing for the in-store business where we've essentially cobbled together a network of again retailers we certainly don't control um or, or own uh, but again, through a combination of value proposition through economics for them and experience for their shoppers um, we've been able to create uh, sort of sort of speak value added networks mm-hmm. that make it attractive for uh, them and for the brands and even the shoppers to to engage with and going forward we see our role exactly the same way and and, and actually in in a way, that role we are playing is even more attractive, more 
valuable in today's world of highly fragmented, highly decentralized media ecosystem where, you know, even through TV, brands are feeling that they're not reaching enough scale. Therefore, they need to go tap into other networks to to stitch the right scale and audience reach. So um, we see ourselves continuing uh, uh, on that path. Um, and the only main um, sort of addition to our to our legacy capability is the the concept of innovation um, and constant innovation introduced into our into our networks uh, mm-hmm. and essentially evolving into a platform that, in addition to creating these high scale audiences such as the newspapers and the stores were and some of our new digital audiences now are, in addition to the reach we have to all the brand managers who are looking to spend marketing dollars on effective marketing tools. And in addition to the broad reach to uh, shopper audiences, uh, we are now adding today and into the future sort of a fourth leg to our our, our, our platform, uh, which is a, a, a community of innovators, an ecosystem of innovators, uh, because we are innovating and we are inventing things internally, um, but we are embracing the philosophy that we will not be able to innovate uh, everything that's going to be invented out there. Um, And we don't want to be on the losing end of the equation with uh, providing 20% or less uh, of the meaningful engagement tools out there for the shoppers or reaching 20% or less of audiences. And therefore, opening up our platform with a value proposition to third-party innovators, whether it's partners that are mature companies or they're early stage or even startup innovators who are coming up with uh, uh, the the right technologies or the right uh, data and analytics capabilities that add to the network's overall capabilities. Mm -hmm. We believe having that access um, is valuable, certainly for the network and all its participants. So brands and retailers can 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 quickly and easily partake into this innovation that is being introduced by otherwise many companies they would have to track and and know and sign contracts with individually that way they can access it in one place in our network and for the innovators it's a it's sort of almost like a a, a magical way to gain instant uh, broad deployment that for many startup companies takes years and sometimes never to reach the kind of scale that their business model requires. Um, but because we open up essentially a platform that has broad reach um, and, and a very diverse set of, 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 of network participants, it allows them to uh, basically deploy their innovation very quickly and effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's essentially evolving of the business model for the 21st century in terms of what you guys have specialized in the past. Tracy, I mean, in terms of if people are interested and they want to get involved with what Peter just described, or they just even want to learn more about you guys and, and News America market, Marketing, where, where should they go? How can they get involved? Yeah, uh, well, gr- great question. Lots, lots of ways to get involved with us. Uh, reaching out to, for starters, re- reaching out to Peter or myself, we've... Um, we're constantly updating our uh, website so that uh, folks can understand all of our capabilities. You know, Peter summed it up really well. You know, we, we collect and we respect data, and we always have the consumer and shopper in mind. And that's what we're, as he said, innovating and evolving and playing the strategic role where we bring marketers and retailers and innovators together. And, you know, I, I think uh, what most folks don't understand about us is 
you know, we service over, you know, 58,000 retail doors, 2,000 brands. Wow. We have 3,400 people in the field executing um, on a daily basis for our retail partners. We've got 300 plus people located around the country working um, closely with all of our brand partners. And so we, uh, we, we, we would welcome anyone who's interested in understanding any part about us or our holistic solutions. We, we welcome someone to explore. If I can add, Chris, um, Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in keeping up with our philosophy in the times and, uh, and, and, and trying to stay abreast of innovation in, in our own industry, we will actually be activating a presence uh, at Shop Talk in Las Vegas on March 3rd to 6th. So that, that would be another way we will look to connect um, with our, our partners and our constituents. And uh, obviously, we welcome folks to come visit our booth. Uh, and before that, uh, certainly log into newsamerica.com or follow us on LinkedIn. Um, uh, obviously, we look forward to connecting with folks in the industry, with folks who are interested in uh, potentially pursuing a career here, um, or folks who are just uh, uh, inventing new ways uh, and disrupting the industry and want to potentially uh, discuss the possibility of joining our our, our platform and our, our ecosystem. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, as you guys know, I mean, as you guys know, and our listeners know the conversation and what you guys are trying to do, this is a, a topic that is near and dear to our heart. And it's a topic that we are incredibly passionate about. So that's exciting to hear you guys are going to be partaking in all of that activity over the next few months. So yeah, and always, of course, too, if there's any way we or anyone we know can lend a hand, I'm sure our constituents and, and, and partners would love to help out as much as they can. So well, this is you guys. Thank you so much. Again, Tracy Kohler and Peter Moose Dekersky of News America Marketing. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I think this has just been a wonderful discussion, not only about the period of transformation in our industry, but also seeing it from the perspective of a company that's transforming itself as well. So thank you guys again. And of course, to everyone, our loyal listeners out there, be careful out there.